Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. We are so pleased to be joined by Craig Williams II, who in this year, in the 2020-2021 year, is actually currently serving as the Muni board president and has been involved in the Muni for so many years. He's going to tell us all about that, and we're excited to get to speak with him today. So Craig, thank you for joining us. And just wanted to ask you first, what was your first Muni experience, whether that be in the audience or on the stage or as a volunteer, what was the first time that you really got involved at the Muni? So I first got involved because my grandma um, on my dad's side had actually been a part of uh, Mr. Lundgren's um, choir at, at Springfield High School. He started this, the first, um, Springfield High uh, group or choir that was called the Nonettes. Anyway, she was part of that. And so since then she had always gone to the Muni. So she took me when I was finally old enough to go to see Oliver and it was in the early nineties. And I don't know that I remember a whole lot about it other than we were outside, there were a lot of people and there were people singing and dancing on stage, which I thought was really cool, especially because Oliver has little boys that sing. And you know, it's, it's pretty unique in that respect. Um, so I really got interested in it. And so since, since I, uh, was already in choir in school and such, you know, we, we really started to go more often. I remember very vividly, um, Lori Barnes, uh, version of Wizard of Oz. I remember that one as a kid. I think that's the first one that I remember going, Oh, this is amazing. This is really cool. I really like this, but that's how I first really got involved. And from then, I did start volunteering. I started becoming really interested in auditioning and it kind of rolled on from there. That's great. And speaking of auditioning, you uh, are sort of a prolific performer on the stage. Can you speak <laughs> to us about your first audition experience and how it went? My first audition experience was for Secret Garden. It was, they were holding auditions at First Congregational um, in Leland Grove. And they had this whole setup where you would audition as a kid in the basement area and there was a stage and then the directors would sit on stage and all the kids would line up and then take their turn. And they would teach you everything and then they would hold you in groups in like the Sunday school rooms and they would measure you to see how tall you were. And um, in Secret Garden, there are only two boys. So it was very, you know, highly sought after um, roles, I guess. And so there were lots of guy or, or kids and, um, and a lot of them I didn't really know. It was fun. I had a good time. Um, the big thing that I remember about it is that Lee Steiner, who directed the show, stood up on stage and said, all right, now we're going to have everyone go from this side to this side, and you're going to go through the garden, and you're going to look at things, and you're going to notice, and um, I want you to improv. And I remember everyone, you know, jumping on stones and stopping and looking at the, the butterflies or the flowers and going, what do I do? Because that wasn't something I had ever been really um, 
you know, attuned to yet, you know, it, it, you know, elementary school and public school, they kind of start teaching you that kind of thing, but not much. So I remember that I did not get the role. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure that TJ Grosh got the role and um, he was amazing. But, um, and in fact, that whole show was incredible. I, I remember all of the little uh, faces in the hedges and everything was alive. Um, but, and I, I, you know, although it was really, you know, disappointing that I didn't make it. It didn't stop me from coming back. But th that was really my first audition uh, for Muni. And um, I remember it really positively. That's great. What was it about, um, what was it that got you to that audition? Do you remember that? I mean, I know you had said you'd seen Oliver and uh, other shows as a child. Where, where does this come in kind of that line? And was it something that, again, was uh, encouraged by your family? Or was it something that you just decided you really wanted to do? You know, I think I was probably in late elementary, early, like, intermediate school. And I had always talked about, you know, I was in choir, I always did the show at my school, whether it was just a variety show or an actual musical. And I think it was my dad and my stepmom who finally said, if you want to audition for Muni, we'll take you. And so I, I said I wanted to and they took me. So it was kind of um, a myriad of you know, my parents pushing a little bit, which was great. And me already having a lot of interest in that, you know, that culture and, and, and music in general. Great. So you've had uh, a lot of experiences, not only as a performer, but also as a staff member. I want to take this next question sort of in two parts. And this is a big question. So feel free uh, to say whatever you'd like in this section about your favorite roles out at the Muni. And let's go ahead and look from the acting side first, and then we'll come back and look at uh, from the staff side as well. So I actually have probably directed more than I've been on stage out at Muni, and I don't know why that happened, but um, my first role was in the uh, Cockney Quartet for My Fair Lady, and it was, um, it was a blast. It actually, there were two guys in it that I, I already knew, and then one that I didn't, which was Steve Rotello, and um, you know, the, the best part about it was it was all about singing. And I had actually been in a barbershop quartet in school or at Springfield High School. And so this was something I was used to. And I really kind of had um, an ear for it. So it was a lot of fun. And Deb Watts led that group um, as the vocal director. Uh, and, and then from there, I, you know, I played a myriad of like supporting and, and choral roles. And then um, most recently I played Rooster and Annie and I actually had a really great time. I kind of auditioned on a whim, mostly because I wasn't directing that year. And I went, you know, I don't really want to be an Annie, but if I, if, I, if I wanted to do anything, I really would like to play Rooster. <laughs> so I put it down thinking I wouldn't get it. And I did, and I had a great time. It was, um, it was kind of a blast. That role I would probably play again. You kind of sit off on the sidelines and get to sing some of the songs backstage and then hop on, do your thing. People love it. And then you go home. And that was kind of a surprise. And I got to play alongside some really amazing actors as well and, um, and sing, you know, a really popular song. You know, Easy Straight is, is something that everyone knows. Um, and it's cheesy and you can do a really horrible, you know, New York accent. And, and that part of it was really kind of fun because I don't, I, I don't know that I've played a whole lot of comedy roles. So that was, uh, that was really enjoyable for me. 
Annie is one of those shows that keeps coming up in a lot of these discussions we're having. Uh, and actually, I got to speak to your sister, Tiffany Williams, uh, <laughs> and, as Miss Hannigan. And um, she spoke to the excitement that she had when she heard that you were Rooster. She was ready <laughs> to go uh, after that, she said. But, you know, um, particularly you... Uh, so kind of combining the two, you talked about your experiences as a child, but it seems like those shows like Oliver and Annie really give some entrance level to lots of children being involved in theater, in the arts. And then those people go on to become leading ladies at the Muni. We've got Natalie Randall out in New York, um, countless people coming from either Annie or from Oliver. Um, can you speak to those shows and their impact, those types of shows that bring on a, a large ensemble and sort of some of your experiences in, in those types of performances? Yeah, I think that... Annie Oliver, um, I think High School Musical almost in a, in a way. Um, Natalie Natalie Randall was in that one and then went on. Um, Joseph is a great one where there's lots of kids in that chorus and they're you know they're front and center the whole show. I think they really give an opportunity for those kids who are you know really really, I guess in tune with the, you know, local community theater scene. And then also those kids that have no idea how to navigate that, but they love music. They're really great. They can sing, they can dance. They came out to audition on a whim and they still made a show. And, and so maybe they could be one of the choral kids, um, you know, in, in any of those shows and get an opportunity to grow but we're still able to feature those kids who are really great that have been on stage since they were, you know, five or six and get out there. And I think that, you know, that in general, um, I think this, this kind of goes also for the local high schools. Um, it gives people to grow at, at their own pace. It gets them, gives them the opportunity to feel comfortable. It gets them the opportunity to um, learn those skills that, that are really hard to, to direct you know, from as a director, it's really hard to direct those skills um, into somebody of, of having the innate ability to get out and, and put a character on stage. But it's amazing how some of these kids have the ability to come out and completely interpret a script and you go, oh, okay, <laughs> you were easier than my leading man, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, those are, those are huge for, for the Muni, for Springfield in general. Um, for the future of the Muni, and then also just the, the future of theater in general. As you said, Natalie and, and, and uh, Maddie Booth, who was actually an Annie, um, she's out in New York and she's, you know, she's hitting, hitting the auditions and stuff too. So it's, they're pretty incredible what opportunity they give um, to everybody, really. And you mentioned uh, just a bit ago that you actually think you've directed more than been on stage more at the Mune. You said you didn't know why. I, I can tell you from my own personal experiences that uh, I think everyone knows what they can expect. And that's a spectacular show when you direct because you're very good. And I'm, I'm going to, um, you're a very humble person. I'm going to prop you up here for a second. The, the, what you see in your brain is so creative uh, and very intuitive, very interesting. And so when that translates to the stage, you do a great job of bringing that to the stage. Some people can't take that idea and make it a reality, but you're very good at that. And so can you speak to um, 
transitioning to the staff side, how that experience was for you and, and what exactly was the progression from, uh, were you an assistant director first or what was your experiences going into becoming a director for the Muni? So actually, a funny story, I was actually volunteering in concessions at Muni when Deb Kopp, who was on the board at Springfield Theater Center, asked if I wanted to direct a show for them. And so I uh, co-directed Cinderella at the Theater Center with uh, uh, Nancy Miller, and it was kind of my first toe into anything like that, because I had honestly not done much of anything. I hadn't stage managed, um, vocal directed or anything like that. But that was a really fun and, and cool experience. I got to do kind of what I enjoyed, which was design, you know, the set and kind of get my feet wet, you know, doing that as well. And that transitioned slowly into doing a lot more. And finally, I was asked to assistant direct and stage manage for the music man out at Muni. And I think that was in 2008, 2009, somewhere right in there. And I did that for a gentleman named Jim C and he had never done anything at Muni. But the funny thing is I hadn't really ever done any staff out at Muni either. So I had been on stage several times by that point and I had really volunteered a lot, been out and, and done both set. I had um, helped with the gardens and flowers and you know concessions and some other hospitality. So when I, when I took that role on, I had a lot of help from a couple board members um, who kind of mentored me through that. And it was an, a very interesting experience and I learned a lot. And I think from there, um, that's when I was finally given the opportunity to do High School Musical. And that was incredible. Um, Steve Rotello, who I had actually become pretty good friends with by this point after My Fair Lady, um, actually vocal directed that for me. And I think that was immensely helpful. He really helped to mentor me in that role um, in a really nice way. And that kind of was kind of the stepping stone, I guess, because High School Musical was a blast and the kids were amazing. I think teenage kids can do anything. And I had already started getting involved in the local high school scene too. So that's kind of how I, I really got involved. And it was really a slow progression, but I had, I, I really started early. So I, I was lucky in that fact because I still had a lot of energy, which I'm kind of lacking nowadays. Um, I guess it's been almost, um, I guess 12 or 13 years maybe since I first started directing. So uh, it's been a cool run. Yeah, that's great. And um, more and more to come, right? Uh, the, um, you mentioned some of your mentors, you mentioned Steve in particular, but going into that role, uh, whether it be from the acting side or from the directing side, staff side, are there other people that you uh, looked up to or learned a lot from in this process um, that you want to recognize? You know, I mentioned Lori Barnes and um, I had always looked at Lori as kind of like that quintessential um, director out at Muni. Phil Funkenbush is another one. Carly Shank is another. And all of those people I have at one point or another reached out to. And, and I've actually never been in any of their shows, actually Carly only recently in Annie. And but I've, I've seen enough of their work. I had become you know, close enough with them that I could call and ask for advice. And that's one thing that I will never stop doing is if I'm in a pinch or if I'm you know, at a crossroad and I'm going, well, what is the best choice here? It is amazing how many people out there 
um, are willing to give you, uh, you know, some perspective. And as I said, Phil, Carly, Lori, and then and Doug Hahn from a creative perspective, he has got an eye that, that I dream of having. Um, they're all immensely valuable to me as, as friends and as mentors. But then the other part of this is, um, you know, peers. I, I always think that you learn just as much from mentors as you do your peers because you're growing with your peers um, instead of under them. And I think there's, you know, value in both. But um, Christy Lazaridis and I, who are our best friends, met at Muni doing uh, Annie Get Your Gun. And then we started doing shows together. And it has been an incredible ride. We have done lots of things out at Muni. And that has been a relationship where we know and ebb and flow together on things. I know what she's going to push on. I know what I'm going to push on. And she knows the same. Um, Anna Bussing, Meisenbacher. We started, I actually started auditions for High School Musical with Morgan Kaplan. And due to a new job, she left. And I called Anna, who had been in one show with, you know, was acquaintance with, but not really friends with, um, and asked her if she'd choreographed. She had never choreographed before, at least not a musical. And she joined and we've done lots together. And now I've designed for her or assistant director for her, or, you know, she's continued to choreograph. And that has been a, a really cool progression of growth. So, you know, those are, I think those are all key players. And, and Steve Rotello has continued to be um, one of those players too. And not only just in, in the musical or the directing, but also um, on the board. And I think from that perspective too, on the board side, uh, Dennis O'Brien has been always someone I can call and kind of talk things out or, or get some perspective that I just didn't know. Um, you know, I didn't know something or I didn't know a process or I didn't know how this came to be and I just needed more um, history. And he always has a really great way of, of giving you a story that you won't forget. <laughs> so um, yeah, I've, I've been really lucky to have such a, a group of people around me. It's incredible the people that you meet and the impact that those people can have on you, uh, certainly. The shows, so High School Musical is your first, and I know that um, just top of mind, I know uh, Hairspray and uh, Beauty and the Beast and Shrek, and mm -hmm. the list kind of goes on. It keeps coming to my <laughs> mind that you've, you have had the opportunity to direct many shows out there. Um, are there specific memories that you have from any of those particular uh, shows or anything that you'd like to touch on uh, with those performances? You know, there are so many different moments and for different reasons in each of these shows. High School Musical, I, I constantly remember this one moment on um, at the end of act one that we always watched, it was right at the beginning of status quo where that we had these picnic tables that came out in the darkness while Sharpay and Ryan were upstage doing this quick dialogue. And it was always this like race of your heart waiting for these picnic tables to make it in time. And it did every night, but we had had so much trouble during Tech Week getting them there. And it was always such an incredible transition because that whole show just went from one thing to the next to the next. Um, I remember that really specifically. I remember how hot Hairspray was. It was like the hottest summer. And we weren't really wearing really heavy costumes or anything like that. A lot of the nice kids wore, you know, really nice dresses or slacks and a t you know, a button down. So it wasn't like it was real hot in that regard, but they danced so hard and they danced so much that they were just sweat 
you know, dripping from top to bottom. And I just remember getting through that tech week and, and being amazed at how freaking amazing it turned out. It, I mean, even through all of that turmoil, um, you know, I, yeah, Beauty and the Beast was one that was a lot of fun. And that was probably my first opportunity to really design a huge set on Muni stage. Um, you know, Shrek, Dreamgirls. I, I, think, I think my biggest growth personally as a director probably came in the last couple where it was Mary Poppins and Evita. Um, and maybe because I had had enough experience that I knew exactly how to make the organization of all of it work. And I could really focus on the people of everything and then see what I could add. And then I also started to reach out to new people for set design instead of doing it myself or reach out to somebody else for, um, you know, painting help or lights or just other perspectives and try to grow personally. So I think those, um, I think those became more of an emotional uh, takeaway instead of, you know, a success of a show, which I thought they were great. I had a, I, I, you know, but emotionally I walked away going, this was a moment in time. And that's really what I'm taking away from those is the experience itself was just a really positive um, uplifting moment in my, uh, in my year for that, that season. That's wonderful. And always seeking that personal growth is a great way to stay involved and stay engaged and make sure that you are putting your best work out there and, and presenting that. And, and uh, you can be proud of that for sure. There are times where things can go awry. Uh, it is live theater and that's partly why we love it. Can you talk about uh, anything in particular, any fun? This is supposed to be fun, not necessarily terrifying. It's not supposed to give you uh, any trauma. <laughs> it's supposed to be fun. Uh, maybe some mistakes or things that happened along the way that are just like uh, looking back at them now, uh, really uh, great to examine. So I, I, I can remember a few. I think one of the biggest things or the funniest things that I remember happening where I was part of a show was in Music Man during Marion Librarian, um, Harold Hill. Uh, I, you know, that, that whole number has very similar lyrics throughout, you know, the verses. And he kind of got lost on a verse and we started repeating verses and the orchestra kept playing. And I think we played the same verse a few times and we were like well beyond how long this song should have gone and the choreography started to get really strange and then we finally got to the last verse and then it finally finished and i thought to myself oh, this is this is the the worst train wreck i've ever seen and somehow it stayed together i really am not sure i think maybe because some of our dance captains or something kept just going Anyway, people kept reading books. It all worked out fine, but man, I was on the edge of my seat and really, you know, kind of cracked up at the end because it was so crazy. Um, not a show that I was a part of, but Wizard of Oz in I think 2011, the, um, the Oz itself caught on fire. And I think it was, a, you know, opening night, they had had flares that came out and there was, there was, you know, a fire starting on one of the sides. And all I remember is everyone sitting there going, it's on fire, it's on fire. And finally, Amanda Ratz comes running out of the sidelines and pats it a few times and it wouldn't go out and she kept patting it and everyone clapped when it was over. 
and it was hysterical. It was so funny. And, you know, cause everyone, I mean, there were, no one was paying attention to anything else by that point. Um, but it was pretty incredible. Um, I think probably the most, the most heart wrenching moment that I've ever had was during uh, Shrek. We had a giant uh, dragon and um, a gentleman from, uh, well, who lived in Springfield and had been um, actually out in LA and done, you know, movie set and movie uh, properties had come and actually built this this dragon. It was pretty freaking incredible. It was huge. And I had I had actually housed a lot of it in my my two car unattached to garage and and you know kind of babied it. And we had the costumers actually putting skin on it. It was kind of a huge group effort by the time it was all over. But there were I think seven people involved on the um, the underside to actually complete the puppet itself, you know, be the puppeteers. And on the front of it was Dan Frechet. And he had this PVC steel like brace, or I guess um, it was a harness that sat on his shoulders and it's what held up the head. And the head was extremely heavy. And the only thing that held the head up from that harness was this little ball hinge and then the neck from the back. And the neck was pretty much just flimsy, but it held it kind of in place. And in the middle of that show, that harness broke and all he had was the pole itself attached to that hinge. And he was holding it with all of his arm strength as, as much as he could, could to control it back and forth. And it was, it was the scariest moment. Cause I, I thought someone's going down, someone's really gonna get hurt, but he bared through it, went off stage. And in the end, I don't think anyone noticed. I had barely noticed except for I could see that he was turning bright red holding this pole. And somehow by some grace, we actually had it fixed by the second act when we actually came back out with it. But um, yeah, that was a, it was a, a pretty, uh, pretty incredible moment, really. That, that, that does sound incredible. I don't think I was there that night. And if I was, then I didn't notice. So maybe I should just say I was there that night. I, there you go. I, no, I didn't notice at all. Um, we use some phrases around the Muni, uh, and especially in our marketing, we talk about Muni magic and more recently Muni family. And so um, they're similar for sure, uh, but they do mean some separate things. I, I wonder if you could talk about your idea of what Muni magic means. So Muni magic is, is such an interesting and, and general term for so many awesome aspects of Muni. I think one of the biggest things about it is that we have this type of theater in Springfield and it's the size that it is, is, is pretty magical because it is huge. Um, it draws such big crowds. Um, you know, there's so many memories and I think that in itself is pretty amazing. The other part of it though, I think to me is just the experience you get is unlike any other theatrical experience that you can have, at least in central Illinois. Um, there's just something about being able to grab a pizza or a picnic basket, uh, you know, a bottle of wine, heading out to the Muni. And, you know, as the light settles at dusk and you're sitting there and you're enjoying your company and, you know, the, the food that you've brought and the music that's playing, 
it's just so much more than just theater. It's this relaxing experience. And I think that's probably one of the biggest parts of Muni Magic for me is the ability to spend that time with those people, to, to run into people that I know, whether it's from the theater community or from just Springfield in general, to run into kids that I worked with at Springfield High School doing shows there or seeing them on stage, um, seeing it kind of cycle back. That, that part is, is pretty uh, memorable. And I think ultimately the Muni magic comes from when you see the little kids walking up to characters, seeing their faces, them getting excited about, you know, whether it's Ariel from Little Mermaid or Mary Poppins, um, just anything and everything. I, I think watching that is, uh, is cool. Cause then it, it kind of reminds me of when I first came out and I remember seeing Wizard of Oz and that is, um, I think that's invaluable. And now Muni family, what does that mean to you uh, to take that direction? So for Muni family, um, you know, I think in, in a way Muni family comes from the, the overall theater community in some ways. And then in another way, Muni takes up so much of the year. Muni auditions start in March. Um, really, they even start in February when you're talking about the Muni audition workshop. And then you go all the way to the end of the summer and you don't just get in a show or participate in a show and go to that show and be done. You actually go to all four. You know, if you're in a show, you get to serenade another and you get serenaded by another and everyone tries to go to opening nights. So you're spending a good six months with people, some that you've known forever and some people that you just met. And, you know, you really get to know them at a deeper level than just, I was in a show for eight weeks with someone. And I think that's something that is pretty unique. That's not the same as anything else here in Springfield as far as theater goes. Um, it's just something that you do because you're in a Muni show. Um, but at the same time, you know, you, you can do the same thing when you're, you're volunteering or you're participating in the pit or coming out and building sets. There are always people out there that you know, or you'll get to know, you'll see again and again, and it's a comfort level. It's, it's the feeling of being at home. Um, and then you start feeling that way when you run into them out in, you know, in the grocery store and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen you in forever. And, and I think that's, you know, I, I want to feel that way about, um, uh, I feel that way about my family and I feel that way about uh, my friends from Muni. So I think um, that, and then Muni family ultimately comes down to when you're at your lows, your personal lows or your personal highs, that they're people you want to be around. And I, I have been to countless graduations and weddings of people that, um, that were in, I was in a Muni show with, maybe even just one. Um, and I've been to um, many funerals and um, run into all of the same people who are there when, when people are at their lowest. And I think that um, that speaks volumes uh, about people and, and what connection Muni offers. Yeah, absolutely. You, um, you mentioned this earlier, but you taking this a, a step further now, you have been uh, an audience member 
to a performer, to a director, and now also on the Muni Board of Managers. Um, anything about that experience of seeing the kind of governance side of an organization like this that you would like to speak to? Um, is there some, does it, how did it change your level of involvement or maybe awareness of the Muni when you joined the board? So I think joining the board of managers was kind of the next step in my Muni journey in taking ownership of, of how I felt about Muni, about um, of the passion level that I had for Muni and what I wanted to you know, share. And I think that was more time, um, you know, the ability to share ideas, to work hard, to bring Muni to new people, to make it a better experience, to continue to bring the same experience and to, you know, I guess get my hands dirty. I always feel like if you're, if you're in it and you're, you know, in the, in the boxing ring and you're willing to put up the fight that you're always going to, um, you're always going to feel more, um, I guess, uh, what's a good word? I guess there's ultimately, there's this, this, this gratification behind um, all of that. And, and in the end, I think that I will always be loyal to Muni, no matter if I'm on the board or not. I will always return to Muni. I will be, um, you know, behind everything and anything that, that happens out there. And I, I will continue to support them to the end. I think that the board is is a new perspective in the fact that it is it's a working board. We don't have a staff. There's not a um, you know a CEO or a um, an executive director or you know staff that are you know taking phone calls and such. It's it's all volunteers. And so you know I have immense respect for those people who who brought this from what it was in 1965 and kept it going all of this time. And that part of it is pretty incredible because it's a, it's a machine. It's huge. And, and so decisions that are made in that group, you know, impact a large number of people, people notice. And so you want to give it lots of time, thought and effort. And, um, and, and in the end, it's, uh, it's kind of a challenge. And I, I, you know, I love a good challenge. So, you know, if, if I'm given the opportunity to help make a decision, then I'm going to do it the best I can. And, and I love to be able to have a say in something I love so much too, you know, being able to direct and then also have a say about what I might be able to see out at Muni or who I want to try to get involved and that kind of thing. Um, or see more people out in the audience. That's, that's a pretty cool, uh, you know, honor. So you're also a, uh, quite the, the forward thinker, I would say in my time that I've, I've gotten to know you. And so I wonder because you're serving as Muni president this year, could you do a little envisioning for me and what you hope to see, uh, at Muni or what you hope for the Muni unspecified amount in the future, whatever you want to take that at it at five years, 10 years, 50 years, what you're hoping uh, the Muni is like at that time. So I'm, I, I, with Muni in 50 years or, you know, farther, um, I, I don't know what theater is going to be. And, and especially with the advent of streaming and, you know, in-home entertainment and on your phone, um, you know, the first thing I hope is that Muni still exists and that Muni still offers, you know, in-person theater. 
um, maybe for, you know, theater accessible to people who can make it out there, get more people out there, new people, a wider range of the community to then offer maybe more programming. I'd love to see, you know, a full-fledged kids, maybe theater program where there's kids, you know, shows. Um, maybe it's on the off weekends. I'd love to see um, our shows actually being on some in streaming, you know, some streaming at home where people who aren't able to come to Muni anymore can see our shows. I think that is uh, a great uh, innovation for theater. Um, and then I'd really love us to see, um, you know, some, some really great growth within the community as far as um, the creative arts where people, maybe some playwriting, um, maybe some experimental theater. Maybe we could have a smaller stage where we could do Shakespeare or we could do a small fest of um, or plays or maybe do plays on the off weekends of the musical and still have it be outside and, and still um, have that same, I guess, muni magic or that, that ambiance, uh, but maybe attract different types of actors. You know, not all actors want to sing or dance, but they, they might be able to have an opportunity to come out and still experience the same kind of joy that we're getting out of the four musicals we're doing now. Um, and I think that the, you know, in, in my mind, um, because of the size Muni is and the amount of people that we can accommodate, I'd love to see people from even farther reaches outside of uh, Springfield and in, in, in bigger around central Illinois to be really well known um, doing new and up and coming things. Uh, so I, I just think I, I would really like, you know, above and beyond anything is see, you know, new people, you know, and, and see them grow and participate like we've all gotten the opportunity to. So for a final question uh, with us, and you've, I think that you've addressed this in a way throughout our conversation, but if you had to sum up, um, why is Muni special to you? Muni is, is a place where I can be 100% myself. I can be genuine. I can uh, express myself in lots of ways, whether it's on stage and performance in a way, um, you know, in social ways too. But then on the creative side, I can express myself through story or through set design and painting. And I get to share that in a way that allows anybody who wants to come watch to do so. And it doesn't give me anything but joy. I get to watch people enjoy what I like to do or what I am trying to tell the stories or the, the feelings, um, you know, the, I guess the positive juju that I'm trying to throw out in the universe for people to watch. And as an artist, I, I don't know that everyone gets that same opportunity um, and in such a way that, that many people come out and watch. And I think that part of it has given me a purpose in life. And I think that's what, um, I think that's what we're all looking for. So uni is, is that for me. And I feel, you know, really blessed to have found that so early in life and continue to be able to be um, so involved. What a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Thank you. I had a wonderful time. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. 
This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.